Welcome to Friends with Mental Health Benefits. I'm Mara Leidy. And I'm Naomi Hirabayashi. And we are the founders of Shine, the inclusive mental health company built for all of us because we believe that everyone deserves support and to live well. We started Shine after leaning on each other for mental health support at work. We realized we didn't always feel comfortable talking about our mental health because we didn't really see anybody else doing that, especially at the top. But we're all going through something. So with this podcast, we want to shine a light on the people you might think have it all together. You're going to hear from leaders and founders about how they're actually doing and how we can all learn from them to better care for our own mental health. And today we are joined by the incredible Sarah Jones Simmer, who is truly an inspiration to so many. She is an executive leader, an investor, a board member, and since September of last year, she is now the CEO of Found. Found is on a mission to make evidence-based sustainable weight care accessible for all by combining the best of modern medicine and personalized support. And prior to that, Sarah was the COO and chief strategy officer of Bumble and led investment strategy for the Bumble Fund, focusing on investing in the next generation of women-led businesses. She has a master's degree in public policy from Northwestern. She used to run marathons. She's completed an Ironman, which boggles my mind that any human can do that and now spends her outside of work time raising her two young daughters. And more important than anything, you know, outside of her incredible resume, we can just personally vouch for Sarah being just an incredible human being. It's probably the biggest reason we're excited to have you here today, you know, on top of all the all the career success and and your incredible company. I think just um, you're just good people, you know, and we feel that. So thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. My gosh, thank you for having me. I feel like that intro was far too kind, but it's an honor to be here with both of you. I've loved getting to know you. I'm so inspired by what you're building. And I love the light that you're shining on mental health and and being authentic and vulnerable in these types of settings. So it's truly humbling to be a guest. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate you. Just adding on to that beautiful bio, Mara, um, you know, Sarah's the type of person you've been really supportive of Shine through the years and was, you know, as someone with such a huge career, we have just felt so lucky to get to know you. And it was just a few weeks ago that we actually reached out to Sarah and we were like, could we get some of your advice? And she just responded quickly, jumped on a call, took a walking call with us, you know, in the evening, which we know is really precious time, especially Mm -hmm. when you have two kids at home and you just shared so much generous advice and insight. And I think it's really those people that just jump in and show up that means so much. And we're just so thankful to have you in our network and just such an honor to have you with us here today. So to jump in, we want to start with a question that Mara and I start every check-in with, which is, how are you really doing? And if it's helpful, we also do this as a team and something that can feel like a big question can uh, help like ground yourself in, okay, how am I really doing? Um, Is little picture, big picture. So little picture is how are you in this moment? And big picture is how are you feeling overall in life? Yeah. Oh gosh, that's such a good framing. And by the way, thank you for those kind words. I remember that walk distinctly as well. I'm sure we'll get to this later, but walking is like one of my ways that I really think through my mental health. I get fresh Mm. air, I get outside, I get moving, I get away from screens for a minute. Um, So I am always game for a, a chat and a walk. I think I appreciate you asking about how I'm doing. And I feel like that's a question we all need to ask each other more. So I love that you kick that off on your one-on-ones. I'm good. I mean, the world is a really complicated place right now. So it feels strange 
to even say that. Mm. It's hard to look mm. around and see countries at war and see girls in Afghanistan being denied the opportunity to go to school and to feel like we're, gosh, like two plus years into this pandemic that yeah. there's light on the horizon for sure, but it's still dragging on. And so sometimes like, against the macro backdrop, it's like, gosh, it, is it even appropriate to say that I'm good? Yeah. But mm. But I am. I'm I'm finding energy in like so many different pockets in my life. I get super energized by my girls. I love the work that I'm doing. I feel like I'm I'm growing and I'm challenged, but I love the team that we're building. I really feel inspired by the mission that we're after. I got actually some some really exciting personal news last Wednesday. I went for my annual cancer scans and they came back clean. I'm officially one year cancer free. Oh my gosh. Which is a how am I feeling in the moment? I'm 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 feeling alive, mm, you know? And amazing. I, I had a firsthand experience in the last two years of not having any of that guaranteed. Mm. And when I have that as my foundational perspective, I think that changes the way that you view everything. And Gosh, my hope is that people do not need to go through something like cancer or, or or an illness like that to recognize just how much we've got. But it does make me so incredibly grateful for all of the little things in my life that that bring me joy. Congrats. Well, first of all, yeah, congrats. Thank you, Sarah. That is something definitely worth celebrating. Um, and I think that's one of the things we're really um, looking forward to hearing from you today is like, You've talked a lot about just the perspective change with the experience that you had of, of fighting cancer and and also just where you started. The, this is something we talked about as a, a shine team a lot, like the duality, reminding ourselves we're still allowed to feel joy um, when the world is really heavy. Mm-hmm. And often that is kind of the beauty and the pain of life, right? There's just so much joy and so much heartache all at the same time and having to hold all of that together and be exposed to so much of it as well. Obviously through media, it's it's, it's difficult, but remembering it's okay to feel joy, I think is, is such a beautiful reminder. Mm-hmm. I also love that um, you talked about like where you're getting energy from. And I know that just this idea of like our energy matters so much, right? And mm-hmm. and I know so many people are struggling with that right now, particularly with some of what you mentioned around what's happening in Ukraine and Afghanistan and a lot of African countries that are in the middle of wars as well. Like we're finding that people are, are struggling with that same friction of like, how do I how do I cope? How do I um, do my you know, skincare routine, the thing that I love? Like, how do I do something that brings me joy while this is all happening in the world? And I think something that we've even heard from our own community is when I do feel joy or when I am grounded and when I am getting energy from those things that are bringing me joy in my life, I can do more to help. You know, I can act from a place of clarity and I can act from a place of being actually more impactful than when maybe I'm feeling it all. So I, I think it's, mm. it's, going to be really helpful for people to just just hear that no I think that's right you know I think there there's this idea of like filling your own bucket before you can Mm -hmm. can like distribute that into the world and and I think it's important for us to recognize what those things are that help us fill our bucket and I I find at least that focusing on smaller things for which I really have gratitude like sitting and watching my girls karaoke, you know, on like a hot, (laughs) humid Texas night. And of course, that's like hard to do when there's a backdrop of of children suffering in places Mm. like Ukraine or Sub-Saharan Africa, to your point. But at the same time, like part of what those individuals are fighting for Mm. is the opportunity to feel joy joy. and to feel love. Mm -hmm. And like, actually, I think by 
by honoring that and and recognizing and feeling gratitude for the joy in our own lives mm. maybe that's a way to honor the struggle in a way I think mm. to me I keep coming back to this idea of, of finding gratitude right it's not just experiencing the joy but then it's that moment of gratitude for it and the fact that we get this one wild and precious life to live and that we need to make sure that we're taking the time to appreciate the things that we have. It's so beautifully said. It was so beautifully said. I love, I love find gratitude for the joy. I really, I think that's something we can all sit in. Um, there's nothing I love more than just incredible people who I think are good humans and have also done really badass shit in the world. Like I love getting to read their bios and you know, just getting to speak your bio and getting to, you know, tell your story from kind of that high level. And we also know there's so much more. There's so much more that happens kind of behind the scenes. And a huge part of why Naomi and I started Shine is because that behind the scenes often felt taboo. Mm. It felt like, um, you know, you had to wear the shoulder pads. You had to, you know, especially for us, you know, we were, um, you know, leaders in our company and managers in our company. And I think we were looking for other people that we could look up to that, you know, just took that deep breath and said, I'm struggling or I'm not okay, or, or I have in the past and here's how I got through it. And so, um, I would love, you know, in your own words, what is that behind the scenes of your mental health journey look like along the way? Mm. You know, I feel, I feel really grateful that I grew up in a family that, that supported mental health as mm. a part of like general overall well-being. Mm. I have a younger sister who is a uh, trained and licensed therapist. She's now a, oh. got a PhD in psychoneuroimmunology, oh. which I can barely express in words, like how, how incredible she is. She studies the impact of cortisol on long-term health mm-hmm. um, and is really doing some interesting stuff in public health. So all that to say, you know, I feel like, I feel like I grew up in a family that, that respected and supported the need to address mental health. And I'm really grateful for that. And I also felt like that gave me the opportunity at different points in my life to figure out what that looked like. And Mm. I could see a therapist when I was in college, I could see a therapist when I was experiencing postpartum depression or when our marriage needed fine tuning. And Mm. I think it's, it's really important to be honest and open about those things because we know that others are, are facing it. And there's something so powerful in being seen, Mm -hmm. right? I think what Mm -hmm. conquers stigma, whether that's related to mental health or now I'm doing a lot of work around around stigma and weight is when we have shared experiences and the pandemic has actually been a really big unlock in this regard, both for mental health and for weight. The average American gained 30 pounds during the pandemic. So we are having really real conversations about weight and physical health now too. But I think the pandemic really shed a light on this idea of shared anxiety and burnout. And we were all stuck in our homes. We didn't know what was going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And there were people that had been struggling with similar issues for years that finally felt seen Mm -hmm. in that moment Mm -hmm. because the experience was shared. And so I love what you were saying about about shared experiences and vulnerabilities, really helping people feel like, oh my goodness, me too. Like I have gone gone through this and I'm not alone in that journey. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as much as it's like taking a certain amount of vulnerability for me to talk about some of these things, especially as a business leader, I also feel like there's great validity in it. Mm -hmm. Part of my job as a CEO is to create the conditions where my team can do the best work of their careers. And I think a big part of that is that they feel like they can be who they are and they can show up when they're ready to show up. And 
that they know how to pass the baton when they need to, or like Mm -hmm. take a day on the bench if necessary. If we really do think about our corporate environments as sports teams, right? Mm. People sit on the bench all the time Mm -hmm. in order to rest their legs and come out stronger. So why do we not think about things like our mental and our physical health in the workplace like that? If if you're not going to be at 100%, I'd rather have you rest, Mm -hmm. fill your bucket, come back when you feel like you're ready to put it all out on the field, whether that's because you're sick with COVID or because you feel like you need a mental health day and you're burnt out. Mm. And, and I'd also like to know and understand that so that I, as a leader can understand trends in the business and can really help to shore up the resourcing that we need for this next leg of growth. Mm. Um, you know, we have, we have five corporate values as, as many businesses do, but one of them is consistency over intensity. Mm, that is and good. I believe really deeply in this. And maybe some of that comes back to, you know, training as a marathoner and having done an Ironman a million years ago. Yeah. But what you find in that is that showing up day after day after day after day is actually a lot more important than like putting it all out there once. And I think we should think about business in that way. And I think sometimes in high growth venture funded environments, sometimes there's this idea that like we just run at breakneck speed all the time. And I think what the last couple of years have shown us is that's not necessarily healthy for everyone. Yeah. And there are going to be moments where you like sprint it out. But I think there are also times that you have to recognize that winning as a team requires that we can all show up on the field day after day after day. And that consistency is a more important part of that resilience than intensity. I feel like I've now not at all answered your question about my own mental health journey, but I got on a little bit. <laughs> I feel like we're at church. I, um, I, I don't, I'm like writing down as if this is my journal entry, but I think <laughs> the consistency over intensity is such a beautiful value. It's such a beautiful value. And I think, um, you know, thinking about the long game and, it's not even just about like the outcome and the output. It's about the human and it's about like just acknowledging our capacity. I remember, um, Gnomes, who wrote that book about, um, that you read during your maternity leave existentialism. Oh, essentialism. Essentialism, not existentialism, mm, different topics. Well, uh, essentialism. Kind of connected. Yeah. <laughs> but I yeah. remember the author of yeah. that book saying, um, anything not sustainable is impossible. Like, it's just not possible. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it reminds me, what you're saying reminds me of that, of just this idea that, you know, we actually just can't sustain at breakneck speed and that kind of sprinting is is impossible. Um, and I know, you know, you also kind of opened up and shared about, uh, oh my gosh, I, postpartum depression, even just hearing that from another person. And, you know, there's so many people mm-hmm. that that's going to affect just hearing that. I think when you're going through postpartum depression or, you know, fine tuning your marriage, any of those things that are so normal, but maybe don't feel normal and they certainly don't feel good in the moment. Um, you can feel like it's you and you can feel like something is wrong with you. Right. And, and not feel like these things are just human. So I'm curious for you with your family background and having this family you know, that supported mental health from the get-go, having an incredible sister in this field, even with all of that, like, did you feel in those moments where you needed help? Did you feel like comfortable doing that? Did you feel, you know, able to easily be vulnerable or was that, you know, was that still a challenge for you? Mm. And look, I think there is always a bit of a hurdle to get over and I think that's where there's actually been some really wonderful advancements in in things like digital health that 
make it easier Mm -hmm. to get help Mm -hmm. from the palm of your hand or from your couch instead of having to drive across town um, and allow you to maybe seek care under the radar if that's what feels right for you in that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel grateful that I have had supportive friends and family, as I said, that enabled me to access that care. But I, I also can understand that there may be times when you want to keep that to yourself. I think the biggest thing is recognizing that it's not a moral failing to mm-hmm. need support. And we're, we're pretty good at accessing support in other areas of our lives. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I come back to the team metaphors and training, et cetera, because movement's always been a really big part of my life. But people have coaches for sports teams. They have personal trainers. They, we do a lot of like coaching and resourcing yeah. and enabling on the physical health front. Why would we not think about applying that in the same way? on the mental health front. And I was actually talking to a you know, colleague the other day and, and he was sharing that some important changes have been made in the way that their a team psychologist for a sports team he was a part of was framed. And when it was called team psychologist, very few people took advantage of the opportunity and then they quote unquote rebranded it as a performance coach. And then suddenly everyone was intrigued by the idea. <laughs> And I think the reality is like the actual nature of the conversations has not substantively changed, but sometimes our ability to remove barriers to access Mm. comes in the way that we help people understand the value proposition and get them comfortable seeking out care. And, And I think there's a place for that across all parts of our lives. It's so true. And it makes me think about how there's obviously a lot of masculinity in that too, right? Enhancement, performance, right? This idea of like adding versus healing is viewed sometimes as weak or don't live in the past. And it just, I think we're undoing a lot of that work, um, hopefully, but there's still so much work to be done. And I loved how you talked about as a leader, as a CEO, destigmatizing mental health from the top, we know is one of the biggest things cultures can do to really make a change. And so just the conversations you're having help your team so much have that sustainable ambition is a value of ours. And that's something we talk about a lot. Um, You said in a recent interview, uh, at one point during my fight with cancer, my doctor gave me a timeline that made me reconsider whether I had a lifetime to achieve my personal and professional goals. My prognosis looks better now, but my viewpoint has changed permanently. That was such a a powerful quote. And um, I was curious, can you share a little bit more about that change in, in viewpoint and the advice that you would give based on this hard, meaningful, deep experience that you have had as someone that has had to fight cancer mm-hmm. um, alongside this, you know, huge career and family and all that you've done. Yeah. So the backstory there is um, after one of my surgeries, my uh, basically what they refer to as residual disease, so like the ongoing presence of cancer in your tumors. Ideally, they hope that that's all gone after they do chemo. And it was not at all in my case, unfortunately. And so that caused my oncologist to decide to check for metastasis and kind of re- rescan a bunch of things and see how much more widespread the cancer might be. And she sent me off for the scan and then came back and was just processing the experience and waiting for the results. And she said to me, Worst case, I can get you five years. There have been so many advancements in treatment for metastatic disease, which is like if it has spread to my bone, my brains, which are which commonly happens with this type of, of HER2 cancer. Um, I'll get you five years. There's medicine that can support that. And the 
the good news, as you said, is my prognosis is much better now because of additional surgeries, additional lines of chemotherapy, extensive radiation. I have no evidence of disease in my body at this point. But that five-year framework has become really powerful for me. Mm. I think there's, you know, there's the like, you only live once, live like there's no tomorrow mentality. Like we, everybody would just be hungover all the time if we live <laughs> like that. And then on the other hand, like if you had 30 days to live, mm. you probably would still like throw out the playbook to a certain extent, right? You might quit your job. You might decide to focus just on your family. Everybody's journey would be different, mm. but Something about the five-year framework for me was much more about what would I change on the margins? Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily going to make drastic changes, but what do I hope for in the next five years? And what would I not want to leave on the table? Mm -hmm. And so a big piece of that for me was making sure that I, that the people I loved knew how much I loved them and that I showed up, that I was present, that I reached out. I think I had, I had sort of been grinding away at a handful of things mm. like new motherhood right. and work. Right, and right. you kind of assume you can come back to relationships with your friends, your siblings, even my partner, right? Mm. Like when all that is passed, like, oh, we'll, we'll reconnect when I'm 60. <laughs> what if I don't make it to 60? What What do I need to be doing right now to show up more for you? Wow. And, and I think the other thing is on, on the work front, um, I, I loved Bumble. I will always bleed yellow. It is a huge part of my story. And I am so honored that I got to be a small piece of that business. But it also made me realize in, in that moment or shortly thereafter that I missed building. I wanted to go back to an early stage again. I really wanted to take those swings for the fences. Mm -hmm. I wanted to build a team. I wanted to scale towards a bin. And I wanted to do it something that I cared deeply about. And as I started to explore those opportunities, you know, the chance to be a CEO for a digital health company that's working to solve what I would argue is the biggest problem facing public health today, mm -hmm. which is obesity and challenges around weight. You know, that, that was an opportunity that I can't pass up. And I don't, I don't know if I would have made that bet on myself had I not started to really dig into that five-year framework, but um, I haven't told anyone this yet, but I actually got a tattoo recently of a Roman numeral five wow. kind of near, near my surgical scars as a way to continue to remind myself to think like that and to mm -hmm. not lose sight of like this perfect, precious life that's in front of us. Mm. I got chills as you were speaking. Yeah. It just is really, it's really, really powerful. And I think like just the question of what do I hope for and mm. just even loving ourselves that much to, to say like, you know, with this time, what do I hope for and what do I want? And I, I think, you know, for so many of us, we don't, we don't reevaluate. We just keep going. We don't stop and say like, is this working for me? What is working? What do I love? What brings me energy? Do the people around me know I love them? I chuckled at your, um, your, I'll get to my, you know, my partner when I'm 60, because, you know, with a, with a one-year-old, we were like, do we spend any time together? And it's kind of this like running joke, but it is, it's such a, it's such a, a fantastic point. And, you know, I, I also can't imagine what that whole experience felt like. And I, I just have to thank you so much for your vulnerability and, and sharing about that moment and, and the beauty of what you were able to create out of it. I think I'm, I know is already helping so many people and will help so many people from just hearing this today. So thank you. Uh, that's something I'm really going to hold to. Like, I'm going to remember that I think my whole life, like in just in terms of a way to 
approach things. Yeah. So really appreciate you sharing that, especially from such a personal experience. Let's take a quick break and hand it over to Joy, the host of The Daily Shine, to share more on how you can take better care at work. You're not alone if you're feeling anxious or stressed as we all collectively process crisis, uncertainty, and navigating the changes to the workplace. Your feelings are valid. That's why the team behind Shine's award-winning app created Shine at Work, an employee well-being program rooted in culturally competent care. Shine at Work helps create psychologically safe workplaces with programming and content rooted in inclusivity. When you bring Shine at Work to your workplace or school, your team will get identity-based mental health programming led by representative experts to support their well-being and create a culture of belonging. Head to theshineapp.com benefits to learn more about how you can bring Shine at Work to your workplace. That's theshineapp.com slash benefits to learn more. How's Myron? She's good. She's, She's good. Um, transitioned upstairs. She's watching Blippi, which is a fever dream if people aren't familiar with it. Um, it's like a kid show where a guy dresses up. Oh, I don't know that one. You, you know that one? No, not yet. Oh, okay. Mine are a little bit older. They're five and yeah. seven. So I feel like you're not missing out on anything, uh, Sarah. It's an older guy that dresses like a kid and talks like a kid, which is creepy um, for sure, but it enthralls children. So you're like, yeah, I'm going to put it on. Um, it, it was like a YouTube channel. Yeah, you'll have to play that one for us. Yeah, you're not missing much. But um, what's good is if you're doing a podcast and your kid's homesick, I think it works. So That's amazing. That's <laughs> well, I was going to say our kids are uh, firmly in the like turning red and in Kanto oh phase. And yes. what was really fun is in Kanto introduced them to Lin-Manuel Miranda. And yeah. then, of course, we went on this Hamilton path. And the other day, my, my second daughter loves to sing, can't quite carry a tune. So it's not always clear that she's singing a Hamilton song. And I hear her walking around and she's like, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. And I'm like, that's not how the tune goes. No one knows you're singing Hamilton right now. And like, they're going to be terrified. So we've been working on like learning, learning more song lyrics so that she doesn't sound like such a psychopath. Oh my god! But shout out to her for the conviction. I love that conviction. That so um, that's incredible. <laughs> also, that's such a good age. I love Encanto and um, and Turning Red. Those are good. To I personally watch those, so I'm excited for you and yeah. your household. Both so good. Yeah, we are on the like baby shark oh, phase. Wonderful. Finally, yeah. which is probably you're both in the thick of that. I'm really excited for when she can start singing murderous lyrics <laughs> off tune which is a parent milestone i mean isn't that like that's what it's all about that's amazing awesome well, that's amazing um i had a question we love how the found brand talks about health at every size and you know part of why even we started shine was we looked at kind of the wellness market and just didn't see ourselves. And there was so much to that around, you know, how we looked and the things we went through and being women of color and just like what wasn't represented. But I think that uh, 
health at every size and, and body type was a huge part of that. Just not necessarily seeing ourselves in this like wider view of what it looked like to live well. Um, so I just think that's so beautiful and it's so clear that inclusivity is such a foundation of the company and of the brand. So I'd love to know like, what does that look like for you all internally? How do you take that value of access and inclusivity and bring that to the internal team? Oh, that's a great question. And like, honestly, probably one of my favorite things to talk about. I think when I, when I joined Found, what was so clear to me is not only did we need to update the care delivery model and the way that we approach obesity and weight care, but we also needed to update the narrative desperately mm -hmm. because this really is about helping people drive towards better health outcomes, however they define that, mm -hmm. right? The business is called Found for that reason because it's not about what mm -hmm. you've lost. It's not about mm -hmm. the number on the scale. It's about the joy you find in your body. And we get stories from folks where, they can keep up with their kids on the playground now without running out of breath, or they are back to enjoying flying on an airplane. Traveling was one of their favorite hobbies, but it was embarrassing to ask for a seatbelt expander, mm. and now they don't have to. And stories like that where we focus on, are there places where your body is holding you back from living the life that you want to? If so, we are here to give you a toolkit. Mm -hmm. We are not going to tell you that you need to look a certain way or be a certain size but we want to help you get to those outcomes as you define them. And I think so much of the legacy weight loss industrial complex, if you will, focuses on eat less, exercise more. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the willpower to do that, then you don't deserve a body you love. Mm. And that's bullshit mm. because the science shows that it's much more multifactorial than that, right? Yes, movement and nutrition are factors, but so is your biology, your hormones, your genetics. So is your lived experience, mm -hmm. social determinants of health, what you saw your mom doing, your sleep, your stress, the quality of calories, how much you're drinking. It's all of these things together. And yet the solutions were, were really reductive. They were counting calories, right? And so if a condition is this multifactorial, shouldn't the solution be? Mm -hmm. And so what found does is it brings the clinician to the table so we can address underlying biology, which might be getting in the way of your ability to get to what your version of healthy looks like. And we also provide you with a one-to-one -one health coach who holds your hand through the journey and who can help you develop and sustain better habits, plus a community of like-minded peers and a mobile app that sort of puts all of that together with a bow on it. And I think what's important is really shifting the narrative around how we talk about weight, how we think about weight, how we think about health and how these things relate to one another and then, as I said, really giving people a toolkit to get to the health outcomes that they want to, as opposed to us coming up with some sort of societal expectation around it. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was reflecting on on this earlier. You know, I've definitely my struggles with weight. The the average 45-year-old woman has been on 61 diets in her right. lifetime, which wow. shows you that we're like all jumping on and off this roller coaster. And I was the type of person that has been pretty healthy. Like you said, I, I've run a bunch of marathons. I did an Ironman. I've been a vegan for a while. And like, I could never lose the baby weight to save my life. And part of my journey with cancer actually caused me to have to take a deeper look at my hormones and really address underlying biology there. And I think because of habits I've developed around that, because of the way I've incorporated strength training into my life, the way I'm doing a better job of sleeping, probably the healthiest that I've ever been, which is a weird thing to say after having been on a cancer journey for two years. But what I really appreciated is I was finally able to take a step back and look at it through a really 
integrated lens and realize that it was about so much more than diet and exercise. And the last thing I'll say here is that, you know, I feel like as I reflect on my teen years, my twenties, probably spent a disproportionate amount of time thinking about dating and my weight, right? If I think about where I like wasted intellectual and emotional energy, those are two really big categories. And now I feel like I've written my career around trying to solve those problems Mm. for women, especially, but certainly for everyone. That's so beautiful. And I love what you said around societal standards and just questioning that. And as you were talking, I was like, oh, right. Like you don't typically think at least, you know, for me, like my first thought about my body is how it's presented, not how it's serving me. And I think the examples you gave of even like checking your hormones, there's so much, I'm learning so much right now around um, like period management and um, like cycle syncing and all the stuff that um, I just didn't know about from TikTok, shout out to TikTok. But, um, but I think that there's so much we don't learn about the function of our bodies, but more of how it's presented and, and that societal standard. I think we feel the same, or at least, you know, for Naomi and I about teams and and like our company, we, um, when we started Shine felt like we wanted to model a leadership maybe that we hadn't always seen or weren't always exposed to. And similarly, like bring on team members and create a culture that we just hadn't yet felt like we were a part of um, previously. And so kind of getting rid of that societal standard as well of like, what does it look like to run a successful startup, right? Mm-hmm. Who are the types of people that are successful at startups? What do they look like? Like, what do they, how do we collaborate? How do we speak to each other? Um, so I'd be curious if you could speak a little bit more to that. Like, how do you take that value that is is so inherent to the core product? And how does that come to life in the office? Mm. I'm going to um, reference our, our core values again, but we have one called build a bigger table mm-hmm. and it relates to the business model. If you think about it, like we talk about bringing the clinician to mm-hmm. the table mm-hmm. because they really didn't necessarily have a presence before they did at academic weight management centers, but not in the, the larger weight loss industry. But internally for us, that's about bringing a bunch of perspectives to the table and recognizing that the business wins when we can look through a variety of viewpoints. And I think you're right. There's this pattern recognition that exists in all of us. We all have implicit biases. We're all like used to seeing things. And so there is this like hero founder vision Mm -hmm. and it looks like a, you know, Harvard or Stanford dropout that is an incredible visionary. And I'm not discounting those accomplishments at all. But what's exciting about seeing women like Whitney take their companies public is it's like shattering those molds and those expectations. And I do think the paradigm is starting to shift because of women like her, because of Katrina Lake, because of the uh, founders of Figs. There's there's luckily now more and more and more to count, but, but it's taken a long time to shift mm-hmm. some of those paradigms. And I think... In fundamentally in the most core business terms, the more that we demonstrate that those businesses are driving material revenue growth, are driving stability, have excellent mm-hmm. EBITDA margins, the more that that helps make the case that these are businesses worth funding in because the cold hard facts support it. Right. But I think the yeah. other thing that's really critical is like our time is our greatest investment that we can give. And every single one of your employees has a choice of where they want to spend their time. And how much better can our companies be if we become the place that they choose to do that? And I think that, as I said before, it's our obligation as leaders to create the conditions that enable our teams to do the best work of their careers. And I think that that inherently requires us to recognize that we have to 
create an environment where they can thrive. And so if you feel like you can't bring yourself to work, you have to hide certain pieces of who you are, you have to fit into someone else's mold of what's expected of you. Are you really doing the best work of your career? Mm. How much better would these businesses be if we could just unleash everyone's highest potential? And I think it's our job to figure out how we do that unleashing. And, And that's where I come back to this idea of like, we can all unleash that more if we build a bigger table, if we bring more perspectives to the table, if we unlock all of that potential. And that's ultimately what's going to help enable the businesses of the future. That's awesome. I love that. Build a bigger table. I think that's a message that so many people need to hear and, um, and the value of consistency over intensity um, intersected with that, I think, mm-hmm. allows us to build a bigger table. We change the dynamic that is expected and we invite more people in in a way that is inclusive and um, supportive of all different lifestyles and all different walks of life. So thank, thanks for sharing that. And just Sarah, this has been so great. This has been, we're going to carry so much of this with us. Like it, it just has been so wonderful. We have um, a rapid fire section just to to round things out. Oh gosh. I know, right? I, I like, I, I love, love, hate rapid fire, but uh, it's fun. They're all, they're all like really serious, serious questions about like milk and cereal. Um, okay. Let me know if you're ready. Ready. All right. So what is your best morning self-care hack? Um, I get on the Peloton every morning, like before I even brush my teeth. That is like an absolute, actually I do brush my teeth beforehand, but it <laughs> is like such a part of my routine and it's how I wake up and I really love being able to exercise first thing. That's amazing. Last time you laughed really hard. I feel like 10 seconds ago when we were talking about my crazy daughter annihilating her preschool class. Um, yeah. I was actually just thinking that was it for me too. I was like, I mean, that's just so funny. That's so funny. Um, milk before or after the cereal is poured in. You know, I don't eat cereal uh, anymore. I think I used to put it in after, but now I'm like kind of more of a oatmeal bowl mm. or smoothie person. I love it. I love it. Favorite self-care product? That is a good one. Does it say a lot about my lack of a self-care routine that I can't seem to come up with it? No. Um, There's no wrong answers here. It's not so much a pro. <laughs> Maybe not so much a product, but I feel like like a lot of self-care for me is is movement. Like I said, like walking. Yeah. So quite literally, my favorite self-care product might be like a podcast and my AirPods and being able to go for a walk around the neighborhood. I love that. I love that. What's the best advice your friend or therapist has ever given you? Give yourself grace. I really carry that one forward. I think we hold ourselves to such high expectations. And the best thing I can be reminded of is give yourself grace. Yeah. Where do you feel safest? That's a really great question. I mean, what's interesting is I'm like, I'm obsessively outdoorsy. And what's weird is that I think I feel the most joy when I'm outside, even though sometimes it's like, maybe not safe. Like, I don't know, there's a grizzly bear around the corner, (laughs) but I feel really grounded when I'm outside. And I I know that's a little bit different than safety, but I feel grounded and whole and I feel joy when I'm outside. That's beautiful. What's one affirmation to leave our listeners with? Mm. There's a, a quote in the book, the prophet by Khalil Gibran that I come back to a lot, which is work is love made visible. 
And I feel like for a while, because I, I love work, like I am definitely a bit of a self-described workaholic, but I really genuinely love working. And I feel like it's this outpouring of this desire to make an impact in the world. And there was something for me about that line when I initially read The Prophet that has always stuck with me. Work is love made visible. And I think it's this idea that it's our outpouring of love for the world that enables us to keep doing the work day in and day out and trying to bring about some brighter version of the world in front of us. That is so beautiful. And I think particularly as um, people that work at the high pressure startups that we do, I think such a beautiful reminder. We talk a lot about get to over have to, you know, what I get to do versus what I have to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just, I I love that affirmation. Uh, Sarah, this has been such an honor such an honor to spend this time with you and for thank you for your vulnerability, your openness, um, your brilliance. It was really just something that we're going to carry with us. And we're just so proud that we get to share it with our community. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you both. I love this. And I can't wait to continue our walks and talks for years and years. To You're come. making me want to go for a walk. I'm like, I need to go for a walk. I need to move. You should. Yeah. It feels I so know, good. I know. I know. I know. Um, You're incredible. Thank you. Sarah. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I just, yeah, I, I think we both are just like, yeah, just very, very moved by this. Thank, yeah. thank you again for your time. And for sharing so openly, especially like what you've been through, you know, that just like, we know it's, um, it's just an honor to, to like have you share that so, so openly. So we really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you saying that. Friends with Mental Health Benefits is hosted by me, Mara Lighty, and me, Naomi Hirabayashi, brought to you by Shine at Work, an employee well-being program rooted in culturally competent care from the team behind the award-winning Shine app. Learn more about Shine at Work by heading to theshineapp.com benefits. And if you liked today's episode, leave a rating and review, and we will see you in a couple of weeks for a brand new episode. Until then, you can download the Shine app in the App Store or Google Play and follow us on social media at the Shine app. We'll see you soon.